You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm John Lloyd Young, and you're listening to And the Tony Goes To. It's a look back at Broadway's most magical night, and all of the winners reminisce with delight. Have you ever dreamed of winning a Tony Award? Did you ever practice your Tony acceptance speech in the bathroom mirror? Did you grow up watching the Tony Awards every year? Do you have a collection of Tony Award shows on VHS tape that you refuse to throw out? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Every week, I interview your favorite Tony Award winners, and together we go down memory lane as my guests share intimate and never-before-shared details about their Tony experience. By the end of every episode, you're going to feel like you just won a Tony. Welcome to And the Tony Goes To. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Welcome today's Tony winner, John Lloyd Young. And the 2006 Tony Award goes to John Lloyd Young. Thank you. I have something else in common with uh, Christian Hoff tonight uh, besides this. Uh, I also lost a parent. Um, My mother died of cystic fibrosis before I knew her. I was two years old, and I don't remember her. Um, I do remember, though, when it was just my father and and me, before he met the woman who would become the mother who raised me, before my younger sister, Jillian. It was just the two of us, and he was my whole world. Uh, He was an uh, officer in the Air Force, and I always wanted to be an actor, and and that put us at odds at certain points. But my girlfriend... uh, (laughs) My girlfriend Allison assures me that my struggles were probably harder on him than they ever were on me. Um, So I'm very, very proud to share this with my father. Uh, Dad, we're among 6,000 people tonight, but uh, for some reason I'm remembering that first early struggle that we got through together. And... um, Somehow it feels like it's just the two of us again. Thank you. Hi, John. Hi. That is one of the most extraordinarily moving Tony speeches I've ever heard. And you're talking to someone who's watched every Tony Award um, from birth. 
ceremony. Uh, yeah, well, we've got that in common. <laughs> how how does it feel? What comes up for you listening to that? Well, that father that I mentioned is a, a you know a 2020 casualty. So I just lost my father in uh, August. So uh, it's you know um, you can infer from that speech that my experience with my father was sort of like the anti-Lin-Manuel Miranda experience. You know, <laughs> you know like yeah. Lin-Manuel Lin seems to like enter every room, like riding on the shoulders of his parents, you know, like here's my son, you know, yeah. his parents are like with him everywhere he goes, um, even if they're not physically there. So, um, you know, there are lots of different stories in artists' life, in artists' lives, aren't there? And if you've watched tons of Tony Awards, and I've also watched tons of Tony Awards, I had a certain story and a certain thing that, again, I say you can infer, you know, with an Air Force parent and uh, a military, he was actually a commander, you know, his command was to get real and to do something, um, you know, to do something practical. And I've always been a dreamer. And again, like I mentioned with Lin-Manuel, you know, his mother was a child psychologist. His father was a political operative. He went to school in New York City. And, you know, when in his high school class, Stephen Sondheim came to visit him. I mean, especially over the last several years when we've looked at and talked about privilege and things like that, you know, we, we t tend to limit pr our discussions of privilege to, uh, you know, racial identities and, and sometimes um, maybe socioeconomic, but when it comes to privilege in the arts and so many people will be able to relate to this because a lot of people enter the arts because uh, they want to, um, resolve something emotional or fill some emotional hole. Right. There's also the question of privilege. Were you assisted or dissuaded or even abused or, um, you know, by the people who could have nurtured your artistic pursuits? You know, what, where do you start when it comes to that? And we're not all equal when we enter this business in that regard. We don't all enter the business on you know, uh, this wave of support and love from our families. Many of us have the exact opposite and we're treading against a current that's uh, very strong. And in my case, you know, I'm an Ivy League graduate, even though, you know, Jersey boys would never tip that off. <laughs> uh, <you know>. um, <laughs> they will not let you put that in the playbill, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and you know, but, but the thing is. School like, hard knocks. That's yeah. where we went. Yeah. School hard knocks. So my. Tony speech, you know, knowing all of these, knowing all of this history, and I remember very distinctly watching um, B.D. Wong accept his Tony for M. Butterfly, you know, I was like, I'm a little younger than him. And, uh, you know, that speech to me was a real opportunity to um, take the high road with my father and invite him to go along with me now on this uh, artistic artistic uh, career that I had clearly succeeded in finally, you know? Right. Right. So I was, that was a, a public kind of, um, <laughs> and high minded kind of reckoning uh, and 
with a, with a father figure who was um, problematic when it came to supporting my pursuits. And I did it out in the open, out in public, and that is almost embarrassing to listen to that only because it's so honest. Mm. I get there it. There you go. <laughs> That's yeah. You know, obviously you, br- you bring something up from several years ago that I haven't heard in a long time, and it's... Yeah. It'll hit some emotions. Well, I mean, it's extraordinary. And your ability to be so present in a moment that is so heightened and all that goes in uh, to, to, the, to the moment that we just listened to, you know, it's, it's years and years. And, and then just what goes into being, you know, a nominee, just what's asked of you in terms of all of the things that happened before the night. And so to be as exhausted as you must have been and as present as you were, it resonates very deeply. And I thank you for sharing that because, you know, there are many people who who feel like you do and live in the camp of not having support. And so the idea that you who sing and act and dance and have this extraordinary talent that is undeniable and singular, um, found your way somehow against all odds, literally, to an audition for Jersey Boys, which became bigger than most things that ever come to Broadway. And that in and of itself is a success, right? Just getting there. Um, you're part of like an international franchise and you were the center of it. So can we go back to how the show came into your life before you came into our lives with the show? Sure. Now I have something that involves you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Should we, should we hit stop or should, should no, we No, I think we should keep going. Okay. So I said, so one of the things that I said, you know, just a minute ago, was that I remember very distinctly B.D. Wong winning his Tony for M. Butterfly. Yeah. And he's a little bit older than me, okay? Yeah. I've said this before when it comes to, like, the cast of Rent. I got to New York, and the cast of Rent was like the cast of Hamilton now, or let's say before the quarantine. Yes. And, and you know, and I had my, I wanted to be on Broadway, all this stuff. Those guys are also about five years old, uh, older enough so that it feels like they're the older brothers that are just going out of high school when you're coming in as the freshman. And you have these, just this, uh, almost like a younger sibling kind of admiration for them. So I got to New York out of uh, college in, I think, uh, 1998, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And and I had internships and production offices and everything, including the Jujamson complex above the uh, St. James Theater. And I remember passing your marquee, Ilana Levine, and Last Night of Bally- Ballyhoo. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, passing your marquee and every marquee, you know, those uh, that Broadway area when you're on the outside looking in. Right. And every name on those marquees, everyone who had their photo on the outside of the theater, everything who was working on Broadway, I was so impressed by um, because they were doing it. Mm -hmm. And it took seven years from my staring longingly at, at, you know, your cast list outside of your theater uh, until I was doing my first Broadway show. 
So I, I don't, I don't think we can underestimate, um, or we should underestimate the, the importance that we have when we're working on Broadway, whether we're in a Tony nominated role or whatever, and we can't, we shouldn't underestimate our importance to um, younger people coming up. Right. Because we mean everything to them. Right. And we uh, all have them. Yeah. And then, so then let's say you, you achieve your dream and you win a Tony, whatever. I, I wanted to make that moment count and mean something to, to the, to the people who didn't coast into Broadway on a wave of nepotism is not always bad. Sometimes it's great to have tutelage from people who really know the business, you know. Yeah. You. Yeah. But there are people who come onto Broadway on a wave of connections from their conservatory or, uh, again, like very supportive f- family or, uh, I, you know, I was at the Ivy League. I, I went to school with some pretty rich kids. Like I had some friends who right out of school were their parents bought them apartments and set them up in New York. And all they had to do is take classes and audition. You know, I, I was doing the night shift at like, you know, um, Morgan Stanley, eating my lunch break at midnight at the McDonald's in Times Square, you know, or Tad Steaks. I've been there. I've been to both of those yeah. establishments. There are different paths is what yes, I'm saying. And, I and get it. I, I wanted to speak to the people who, who didn't have maybe as much, as, an easy, as much an easy time coming up. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you think there is anything to the um, discipline and myopic vision that many people in the military have at their core that you absorbed from your dad that you were able to apply to your own career goals? I think the answer is in your question, which is that they like, yes, that when you're raised by a commander, a military, uh, in a military um, situation, you know, let's say like the, the hijinks that a high school student would go through in a, in a normal life, you know, think you're, you're, it's like your dad being the attorney general of the, of, you know, it's, when your father is a commander you can't go out and get a DUI, you know, as a 16 year old mm-hmm. without hurting your father's career. So it's almost like being the child of a politician in a way you have to really, you learn discipline, but you also have to learn certain sort of self-control that is um, kind of sucks the fun out and spontaneity out of things sometimes. But then when you're, 
when you're doing what must need to be done in especially something like a Broadway musical where you just show up every day and have the same energy for the same for a, a big audience in a multi-million dollar enterprise, you know, um, that that kind of being raised by a commander really helped, <laughs> you know. Well, I told you before we started recording that I had regards to you from your stage manager. And the thing that he said to me as a man who had been with that show from the beginning uh, is that whether it was your first preview or your last performance, you would never know in terms of your energy, in terms of your focus, your commitment to the part, to the company, that you had been doing it for a long time, that you brought it every single night. Uh, and did you feel that way? I'm very, very audience focused. Mm -hmm. um, if I hadn't become an, uh, an actor and singer, I might have become, a, I might have engaged in politics or trial law or uh, teaching, which, you know, someday I could do any of those things, maybe mm -hmm. not trial law, I'd have to go to law school. And I don't know if I would have the patience for that. But, right. um, but I think that because I heard someone say this one time, and I, and you're an actor, so you, you'll know, I mean, instantly, you could think who falls into which category, that there are two types of performers. There's the, there's the kind that comes out and says, here I am. And there's the other kind that goes out and says, there you are. And I've always been the there you are type. Hmm. Now I have an ego like any other healthy artist. And so what, if I've achieved really well with the there you are part is sometimes I, I want a little bit of here I am attention, but mostly I, I'm more that there you are. And especially when I'm, stepping on stage with a new audience, I'm excited for them because most of them are seeing it for the first time. And especially if you're in a hit show and you and your cast have gotten accolades and you are yourself came up as a fan of Broadway, you know what that excitement feels like. And so you want to give them what they're there for. And you want, you're happy that they are excited to see your performance that they've heard about. So that never stopped. Every single time we'd go anywhere, do interviews or or even or just the show itself, that was always the case. And so um, I was very excited to bring them what they were there to hopefully see. And that never ebbed. How did you come to this part? Quite literally, how did you become Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys? Well, I had an Italian American grandfather, um, from, you know, he was the fifth, he was the fifth child, the only child born in America to immigrants from Italy and from, you know, Queens, which is not too far from where the four seasons were coming up and the same generation, actually, uh, my grandfather was the same generation as Frankie sort of same height as Frankie <laughs> and very, you know, very similar. So I had, um, there's this coach and I forget, and maybe you will know, he wrote a book. Um, he coaches people out in LA, an acting coach. Anyway, very central to his idea in the book is this idea of blood memory, that some characters for us are 
more accessible than others because they just tap into something that we have in us. And that in me was the Italian American experience, even though I wasn't raised that way. I didn't have right. the accent, you know, it was my grandfather. I, you know, I fucking love the guy, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I had this love for the character already because he was similar to my grandfather, Frankie. And my grandfather was a singer, but you know, uh, an amateur one. His He actually was a garment worker in the garment district. So mm-hmm. he always used to talk about how he'd come alive when he'd get up from the subway and he'd, you know, be there in midtown Manhattan. Wow. So I tapped, you know, I, I read the script. I knew about Frankie, but that energy of a guy from that era and that part of the world, I just uh, basically played my grandfather. And you said earlier, you know, when I was coming up as this working class hero, iconic uh, singer from the sixties, you know, portraying him in Jersey boys was coming a hit. I had a choice, you know, in my bio and the playbill could I, I could say I was a graduate of Brown university, but I figured it would be better for these whole, whole mythology of Jersey boys and the tri-state area and these uh, Italian immigrants for me to, instead of doing that, to, to, dedicate my performance to my Italian grandfather, Michael Cianciola. And that's what I did. Yeah. Were you um, someone who grew up listening to this music? Were you, were you like me? Like when I saw the show, I remember thinking what every single song I know they wrote. Like I remember being completely blown away at the number of hit songs that these guys had had brought into the world. Were you sort of aware of all these songs? I had the same experience as you. When you watch the show, I had the same experience when I was reading the script to do the show. You're that, like, this one too? What? Yeah, every song <laughs> came up. Yeah, because, you know, they're a little ahead of my time. Yeah. Although weirdly, my time, you know, I had three sets of grandparents, all war era, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. And my favorite music was the war era music, Sinatra and the standards and everything. So even though the four seasons were ahead of my time, they also just were sort of missing the mark on what I was listening to. But their their songs were, as they say in the show, so ubiquitous that I realized when I started to get into the role that um, that these songs were really just part of the tapestry of an American life. Yeah. Was this a hard part for you to get? Did they put had, you through they me, a lot? Yeah. I mean, I had to jump through hoops. Yeah. It was tough. So I missed out on the first production when they built the show in La Jolla in, mm-hmm. in California. Um, I was up for it, but I, I was still a little green. A year later, they came back. They came back to me, you know, for Broadway, and um, I think I had about six or seven auditions, which is not too out of the ordinary for a major role in a multi-million dollar enterprise, you know, but it was harrowing. Mm-hmm. So how did it feel when you found out you got it, and how did you find out you've booked it? I um, had just had what felt to me to be a disastrous call back with the choreographer with Sergio Trujillo, who's, as you know, by reputation is tough and good choreographers are short story, long story short, he ended up becoming my greatest ally 
and uh, have a lot of affection for him. But at that point, I felt like I was down and out. So I went into, um, you know, I had that callback and dancing was not my strongest suit then. I'm better now having gone through it. But mm-hmm. uh, I was dejected and I went out into the Times Square area, just like wandering those same streets. In fact, the same block where I used to pass your marquee for Ballyhoo. And I dipped into that theater memorabilia store that used to have a seat in the back in the, you know, the bookstore area of it. Yeah. 44th and and 8th. Yep. And I sat down on that seat and just as the Brits say, gutted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and on the in-house radio, this, uh, Moody's mood for love, this jazz version of Moody's mood that Frankie Valley sings. It's an integral part in the show where Bob Gaudio discovers Frankie's voice this song comes on the radio and the in-house radio there. And I sit down and I'm thinking, if that's not a sign that I got this, I don't know what is. And I sort of half believed that it was the sign. And then um, within the hour, I had a phone call from my agent saying that I had booked the the part. So that's amazing. Out of sorrow came joy. (laughs) Wow. And the other thing that happened to you, which is almost unprecedented, is that, and, and we see that now, there are all these Broadway musicals that are coming out, you know, West Side Story, The Prom. You did the Broadway show and you starred in the film version directed by Clint Eastwood. That never happens. It yeah. happened to you. I wanted it to. Well, sure, but it, <laughs> but yeah. it did. Yeah, but you you know I'm there's duality, so that that's fantastic that it happened. But the the other side of it, and I'm just saying this for actors who listen and like God, I hope that someday I win a Tony. There's another side to that uh, being so aligned with something so famous is that it's it, it's hard to get other stuff going as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you, you know, most of the time, I think in a career, you have a choice. You can either work all the time or you, um, you get known for one thing and then some people have a hard time living that down. You know, those rumors about people from the movie of Greece being annoyed that they're forever aligned with those characters, you know, worst things to happen to an actor in my opinion. Yeah. Because I have no other choice. And it's been this way for years and years now. I've chosen to embrace that and see it as a real blessing as an actor to have done most of my things under the radar, off and off, off Broadway where no one cared and no one knew. And then my first big thing was this iconic role that now I'm known for. And um, and, the, and, and then the difficulties I allude to on the other side were hard to find other things when you're so well known as one character. Mm-hmm that then I've gotten to do all these other things in life that maybe I would have ignored if I were going from Broadway show to Broadway show. And so now I, I can say I have a really full life with lots of explored, explored territories. Right. Um, did you love playing Frankie? Yeah. Um, and, and you, you know, when you mentioned the movie, the, what, the thing I was happiest about getting to do the movie is that I knew it would be a completely different approach because Mm -hmm. it was Clint Eastwood. And so that this character I knew so, so well, but was, I was limited to the script 
on the stage of Broadway, you know, I got to take him out to play in other arenas. Yeah. Even scenes that didn't ultimately make it to the final cut of the movie, you know, um, I got to exercise this thing I knew really well and, and take him into different areas. Yeah. Literally, literally as well, right? I mean, get off, you know, a stage and into the real world with this guy. Um, did you have to audition for the film or or did Clint Eastwood come see you in the show? He saw me in the show and and um and ultimately I didn't have to audition. Was that bananas? Also unprecedented, probably. <laughs> yes. Were you like but, what? No, I, you know what though? I did my I had paid my dues, Ilana. Like I that was five years into the run. I'd uh-huh. gone away, done other things, successfully done other things, tried to do some things, not so successfully, mm-hmm. you know, another big role. Right. Um, you know, I could have done the chorus of something, but who, that would be like Cassie auditioning for a chorus line. You know, like it's almost like it doesn't <laughs> fit. Like you shouldn't be doing, you know, but no. so I just didn't find another role. So I went back to that. And, um, and by the time he showed up in there, in, in that theater, I, at that point, you know, five years in, it was a major hit. I said, if my performance on stage isn't enough for Clint Eastwood, right. then it's not meant to be. Did you know the night he was there? Did you know he was in the audience? I did. And that helped too, that the guy who was going to direct something that could be life-changing for me was there five years in, because by that time, you know, Hamilton, you know, these big hit shows, everybody who was everybody could have our, had already seen us. Exactly. So I wasn't intimidated by anyone in the audience, even if they had the power to put, I was just proud to do what I was great at in front of him. And what mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for him, then it wasn't for him. Right. John, it's all extraordinary the way it turned out for you and this show and the idea that you've gone on to explore your own artistry in so many different ways. I feel really confident that Broadway will lure you back with a new role that you can uh, – inhabit with the same passion and how did you describe it blood how did you describe it earlier the the acting teacher writes that you have a blood memory blood memory blood memory which is extraordinary I've never heard that before um and I really think it's true and it's funny that you said ballyhoo because I very much felt like that when I played that role before I let you go I have a couple of questions that I know you're going to know the answer to are you ready Go for it. Okay. Uh, who did you bring to the Tonys? My then girlfriend. And what did you wear? We all wore um, Ted Baker tuxedos because Des McEnough was a big Ted Baker fan at that point. He might have changed designers by now. We all wore <laughs> Ted Baker tuxedos, white white ties on... Um, um, white shirts look pretty elegant, I think. And where is your Tony Award? My Tony Award is in a display case with my other awards for Jersey Boys and my um, now my art pieces, which that my own art pieces. Some of them, the ones I like, the ones I'm not mad at. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I know exactly what you mean. 
Uh, John Lloyd Young, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for just being one of the great ones. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being a stars in my eyes influence when I was coming up. I will just tell you briefly that that very um, billboard, whatever you call it, the huge uh, poster in front of Ballyhoo. On the night the show closed, I was with my dad and he asked the people loading out, what are they going to do with that? And they said, throw it out. And um, that poster, that huge laminated poster lives in my parents' house in Teaneck, New Jersey. So if you ever just want to come over. And stare at it with my (laughs) mouth agape. Exactly. (laughs) It's right there for you. Um, All right. Be well, stay safe, and thank you. Thank you. And the Tony Goes To is produced by Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. The music and lyrics for the theme song were written by Georgia Famusa. Theme song orchestration by Alexander Sage Oyen. Episodes are edited by Derek Gunther. Thank you to Parody Bill for the graphics. And please don't forget to go to the iTunes show page and rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Excerpt from the Tony Awards used with permission of Tony Awards Productions. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.